Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 7 a.m. Um, and look forward to, and in the studio we have me and Zane. Hello, hello. Is that all right? Yep. Um, and um, yeah, we look forward to bring, we have quite a, a pretty packed pro- um, program actually. Um, we have two pre-recorded, um, pre-recordings that we're going to present to you. Um, one of them is from Tan Shao. Um, who is one of the leaders of the Reformasa movement in Malaysia, who was arrested and beaten up following mass protests against the then National Front government. Um, and so he's going to be sort of... He, this is, it's taken from a talk that he gave um, last Sunday um, that was organised by the progressive um, Malaysian community. Um, and then we also have a short 10-minute interview um, with Chelsea Manning, um, who is going to be who is due to be speaking um, tonight at uh, well by video link because um, as that was reported on the last program, um, she didn't get a visa, or well the government basically delayed giving her a visa on you know the grounds of her criminal record. Um, which is a bit of a disgrace. And um, then we'll be interviewing uh, Moreland Councillor Sue Bolton. Um, in the news, there was um, in the news it was reported um, about um, about this sort of far right sort of terrorist threatened to bomb the resistance centre, um, the trades hall. And the Melbourne Anarchist Club, I think, was all part of that. And he's just been he has been arrested and is currently in court at the moment. So that was all reported on ABC. So we're going to be um, shouting to Sue about that. Um, and the other thing, um, we will we'll have an interview with um, someone who was involved in a protest against coal, a seventeen-year-old. I think his name was Ballin, um, and that will be at eight ten a.m. Um, I guess um, before we talk about any sort of headline news, um, I'd like to acknowledge um, that Free CR um, is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present, and that, you know, this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. All right, uh, so Zane, do you have any kind of major news stories you'd like to share, or in terms of what you've been, what's been happening on the news? Uh, just that there was the death of a construction worker yesterday and there's another construction worker fighting for their life in hospital after a crane which uh, is allegedly not being serviced and maintained properly. Part of the, um, uh, the, the sort of block and tackle for this um, crane broke and it jumped... Um, the latest figure I've seen is one and a half tonnes of concrete mm. on uh, two workers that were down below waiting for it to be loaded in. And um, 
Yeah. Yeah, and this it's very very tragic and it just comes in the midst of the of the, you know, recent attack on the CFMU um mm. by Scott Morrison um who uh who threatened to deregister the CFMU um because um John Sector um, got his children um, to participate in a protest against the Liberal government or to hold up a sign. That yeah, was they worth... held up a sign which said, get effed. Yeah, yeah. And probably not the most like, I don't know, strategic or clever little stunt, but like... Yeah, well, it's like, like but some it's swearing whoop de doo. Yeah, but it's it's quite clear that Scott Morrison um, is a massive hypocrite. Is a hypocrite. A he scumbag. Um, <laughs> and they they. I mean, he when since when did he fre- did he threaten to deregister any banks after we found out that they've been involved in years of corruption and ripping off of customers? Mm, did they serious. did they deregister any churches when they found out that um, there were Catholic churches that were institutionalized? systematically engaging in abuse of children and covering uh, it up? Um, and has he also dismantled corporations that have um, deregistered corporations that have found to be stealing wages from their workers? Well, actually, hospitality, um, um, like um, work workplaces. Mm. I think so. And in terms of moral outrage about children being used to make a political point, what about all the children locked up on Manus and Nauru <coughs> with all of the adults next to them mm. um, being? tortured in concentration camps to make a political yeah. point. And I think it's, yeah, it's just a, a gross hypocrisy from Scott Morrison. And um, I've also been particularly disturbed by um, by Scott Morrison's sort of recent sort of transphobic kind of comments on social media. Um, and uh, there was a funny thing I read in... Um, in the news recently that Scott Morrison um, refuses to send his children to public schools and they get sent to a nice private Christian school on the basis of um, he doesn't want his children to be learning about sexuality and diverse, gender diversity and the sort of, yeah, and, you know, basically he made this sort of comment that, you know, um, that implied that you know teachers are, are forcing children to be transgender or something like referring to them as gender whisperers, which is mm. just you know trans complete like transphobia. Mm. And what uh, about the other gender whisperers that that every child is exposed to from birth that says girls wear pink, yeah, boys wear blue, girls play with dollies, boys play with trucks. Like mm. the idea that if you have a a program that makes trans or or queer curious kids, you know, feel safe and respected and says to other kids, look, if if someone else is a bit different to you, you're not allowed to bully them based mm. on that fact. The idea that a program like that is is teaching kids about gender mm. as opposed to the like really rigid indoctrination into gender roles mm. that happens in everywhere else in society. It's just mm. ridiculous. And um, just following up for another thing we were talking about last week, which is the whole um, au pair scandal with um, Peter Dutton, um, the recent development is it has been basically found that Peter Dutton has been lying and he actually did um, pers- get a fr- um, personally interfere to in preventing this au pair from um, being deported um, on the basis of the fact that 
this au pair was employed by a friend of his. Um, so that's this au pair on a tourist visa. Yes, was employed by a friend of his. Yep, and so they that's sort of a big. It's interesting enough. It's a. It's been. It's sort of a big scandal in in the mainstream media, and it's sort of like it's implied quite heavily that this is going to be the thing that might bring Peter Dutton down. And it's. I actually just sort of think it says something like the fact is Peter Dutton's been you know directly responsible for the administration of you know the the torture camps. You know, uh, responsible for you know all these sort of threats to civil liberties and attacks, and he's also made some. You know, as a minister, he's made some absolutely outrageous, offensive comments, you know, towards women and mm. um, towards, you know, Lebanese migrants, all of that. And yet this is the thing that's going to bring him down. It's not any of that. It's actually this whole, you know, bizarre kind of au pair scandal. And the fact is, you know, the Labour Party are rightfully attacking him over it. But, of course, the Labour Party have never... Um, they never, they've never went on the attack on Peter Dutton when he was, you know, supporting the torture camps, administering all that. Well, because probably because the Labor Party support offshore detention, but that's the, mm. that's the size of the point. It just sort of shows, you know, the kind of current state of where the political discourse is at. Mm. Um, now, the last kind of thing I want to just talk about before I play um, this talk by Tan Shu um, is there's a bit of a we probably should have a we might have to do a bit of an interview about this from Southern in Britain, but I think some of the developments in um, in Britain have uh, are a bit concerning, and I've been talking about this um, over a few weeks, and this has been the sort of smears against Jeremy Corbyn for being an anti-Semite, um, and the right of the party who you know are keen to bring um, Corbyn down, have been rowed forward. And there, there was a recent um, sort of national executive kind of committee decision, the Labor Party, which is probably one of the highest decision-making bodies. And it basically sort of had this – it basically made a decision which Corbyn um, uh, um, wrote it against, um, which is that it's basically within the Labor Party, within the structure of the Labor Party, it's basically – claiming that it's anti-Semite to call Israel a racist state, um, which is just incredibly problematic. So you can't – it's basically it, – as um, this article in Counterfire kind of says, it basically spits in, in the face of all the Palestinian activists within the Labor Party and outside the Labor Party, um, you know, to you know basically shield um, the state of Israel from any – any sort of criticism. And so I think this has clearly been a political struggle and it really is um, a real attempt to undermine the leadership of Corbyn. I mean, by that logic, it would be racist against white South Africans to have campaigned against apartheid and to have said that the structure of the South African state, which excludes black people from certain roles and from generally like the commanding heights of the South African economy, is... You know, to say that that is racist is itself, like, prejudice against white South Africans because that's just how, like, what a ridiculous argument. Like, it's it's just demonstrably the fact yeah. that the Israeli state is racist. Hmm. It excludes Palestinian people on the Israeli side of the wall from um, having rights and... It systematically mm. pushes people off their land, kills people, mm. destroys their infrastructure all the time. Like, it is racist. Mm. And I think, um, 
you know, this is probably this has been. I think it just goes follows kind of the trend of the other long line of the the clear part, the sort of right wing parliamentary Labor leadership to undermine Corbyn because really we're in this situation where they actually don't want um, where where the the Tories and the right wing Labor MPs are united in the fact that they do not want to see a Corbyn led government, hmm. um, and they and they they um, they're grasping for any straw that they can get, and the anti semite the you know the accusations of anti semitism in in the Labor Party and accusing Jeremy Corbyn of being anti semite is you know part of the way by which they um, they've gone attack, and of course there's apparently been some critique from the left on you know the fact that. You know, the left in the Labor Party, the existing kind of left parliamentarians didn't put up a strong enough fight. In fact, the, the depressing thing is actually only eight of um, the Labor MPs actually voted against this decision, um, you know, to against this sort of any EC decision um, to uh, around around anti-Semitism. So it is a it was a, it's clearly a retreat for, um, for the Labor Party. Um, but, you know, um, as in this article state, the left really has to mobilise in defence of the leadership of Corbyn, um, and you know we they have to and we have to we have to fight back basically. Mm. Um, now I'll quickly just play a quick announcement, um, and then we'll play our first uh, interview. Um, oh, well, not it's not actually an interview; it's actually um, a speech. Um, but I'll introduce it shortly. <laughs> CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 7.14am. Um, and um, we're going to play uh, uh, a recording of a speech by Tan Sho. Um, he, to give you a bit of a background on this, um, he is one of the leaders of the Formesa movement in Malaysia. Um, and, you know, he was arrested and beaten up following mass protests against the National Front government of Dr. Malatia Mohammed. Um, but today he is, um, the vice president of the People's Justice Party, um, which is the PKR. And it's the la- largest party in the new Alliance of Hope. Um, uh, Pakistan Harping government. Um, yeah, just to give a bit of background and context for those who don't know, in Malaysia there was a bit of a, a, a historical moment where the ruling party that have been ruled, you know, which is equivalent to sort of a right wing kind of conservative party, were basically unseated by probably would be considered the equivalent to the Labour Party in Australia. Um, and so, yeah, just so in mind, next week, and we're probably going to give um, a more alternative viewpoint um, on this contribution by Tan Chao um, and looking to interview someone from the Socialist Party of Malaysia who is probably who is who are more to the left of uh, Tan Chao, although Tan Chao is does sort of identify 
uh, is identified as being part of the left in some way, although more the sort of centre sort of left um, than the radical left. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll play... We'll, so, listeners, we'll be playing this um, talk, uh, edited talk by Tan Shou. Uh, first of all, I think, again, I say this is uh, a great achievement. Um, I don't know how many of you went back to votes, and I also do not know lately after the change of government any of you were at home. Um, I think general, what I would say is that people feel liberated, people feel relief, and uh, it's as if like something heavy in your chest just being let off, or something heavy over our shoulders. Uh, and just being lifted. So that's the feeling it has. A lot of people ask, um, you know, how long would this celebrative mood uh, continue? Um, my, my answer is, it will be, it should be continued for many, many years to come. Uh, and we should actually always remember to celebrate it. Not so much that I want you to uh, glorify and uh, to worship Pakatan Harapan or Pakatan Harapan leaders or the politicians that brought about the change. It is not. I think it was a moment of history when the whole nation crossed that, that step and we took that leap forward that's, uh, that it registered two very important message. One is that the people, Malaysian, of regardless of ethnicities, race or religions or region, we all came together as one people and to take the future of the country in our own hands. And all of us play our parts to bring about change. And this moment should always be remembered. And sometimes we call it, not sometimes, we call it now, a second medica. It is a liberation process that, like our independence, we came out from a colonial uh, domination. Now we have ended a one-party authoritarian state and now we move into a democratic future. Secondly, it is also the celebration itself should also serve as a reminder, reminder for many generations to come, just like we celebrate Medeka now. It's a reminder to future politicians, reminder to the future government, future ruling parties, that from that day onwards, the 9th of May, the people knew their rights and we stood up and we are telling everybody, whoever in power, remember this. Don't ever betray the trust that people put on you. And don't ever abuse your power and steal from the rakyat and abuse by enriching yourself. And the people know what to do and the people will pull you down. So that celebration, it is important right, for us, for all to understand that that's right. So, friends, 
it is if people ask me what take us so long no what take us so long what make us have that uh, confidence and determination to continue uh, I personally I mean Vincent was very kind I personally would say that um, I probably miscalculated it I miscalculated it and I thought it was going to be short <laughs> even before that I say that uh, when I first returned to Malaysia it was uh, unfortunately a wrong timing I went and back to Malaysia at the middle of uh, 90s um, and uh, I was just about to start all my work and then we had the economic crisis and uh, at that moment uh, my anticipation is looking around Southeast Asia the economic crisis brought about regime change and uh, when Anwar's incident happened I always I joke about it there was the the moment that Anwar called for a mass gathering of the people in uh, at the compound of Masjid Negara that was the first time we saw mass movement that covering Kuala Lumpur and for Masjid Negara we decided that we will march to Datara Merdeka to show the defy our defy and also to show that the rise of people's power in Malaysia for Masjid Negara walking to Datara Merdeka it will probably take about 20 minutes with a big crowd and I walk on that road I didn't realize that it had to take 20 years <laughs> so um, yes it's, it's not easy but that 20 years make us feel that maybe we missed one round of change where we saw Indonesia, Philippines and all other countries have moved into a multi-party uh, some of my, my activist, activist friends in Australia who went back to Indonesia, some of them went to Philippines, some have gone to Korea. Most of them have been had retired from politics because they have done their, their parts. Um, today, we just started to be a ruling party. It was uh, slow. But that process also taught us something. We have um, the opportunity to observe how social change happen in those countries. And one thing that I would say different from the rest, which also makes some of the, the people were skeptical about regime change, that how could it be that a ruling party will hand over power peacefully to a new force? And uh, I think that was something that we ourselves, I personally would think that it surprised me a little bit. Um, on the night of elections, or throughout, in fact, throughout the campaign, I was uh, looking at the numbers. Uh, we, I mean, habitually, I don't like, while outside we were talk about very positively, but internally during our campaign, I was always very critical. I was checking whether we had missed something. And because... We, we know that this is one shot that we cannot miss. 
this change of government must happen now because uh, we had everything aligned properly. Um, so I keep looking through. One thing that's uh, that quite encouraging is the numbers all look very good. You know, the supports are very good and things like that. But something that I find very hard, puzzling is that on the war room of Najib, which our spy told us, our intelligence said, <laughs> Najib was very confident. He thought he was going to get two-third majority. So I went back to all the people who are doing polling. I said, you must have done something wrong that we have missed out on some blind spot. There must be something that we missed out. You know, we keep checking and keep cracking the numbers, but it doesn't look that bad. Right? Even on the day of votings, it looks peaceful and uh, things look very much on our, in our favour. And when the vote started to count, um, by 7 o'clock, I was in Batu. I looked at the numbers. Even though only 20 to 25% of the votes uh, being counted, I was able to declare we have won Batu. Because the pattern was very clear. Even in the most conservative area, you know, Batu is a very polarized area. We have a very rural uh, Malay kampong, a very traditional Chinese Jinjiang area. You also have the Indian Sento area, very polarized type of demography. And we also see uh, places like Corporacy Police, where the, all of them were retired. Most of them who buy houses there were retired civil servants or police officers. Even places like that, and even in the camp, the uh, cantonment of, is also in Batu. And you can see the votes. Pakatan leading number one. Uh, um, Barisan National is trailing behind by half of our votes. Sometimes, PAS will have more votes than, than uh, Barisan National. So we knew it could not have a, the pattern. It was the same. And then we were won. But when I reached the, the Pakatan Leadership's War Room, which is located, we was located in uh, Sheraton Hotel, um, PJ, um, Made came in at about 8 o'clock, so we had a conversation, and I was asking him, maybe, we, maybe Barsa National may, may not get the majority. But maybe we will not be able to hold on to power. You know, we may not get the, the minimum 112. You know, we have a 222 seats in the parliament. And we need 112 to be able to form government. So I asked uh, Tun M, Sir, uh, do you want to have any contingency plan? Uh, so, and uh, and I said, you know, it's, we are ready for something if necessary. Uh, the, the many peoples are gathering in uh, the Padang. Uh, if do we need to prepare for any possibility of, you know, the refusal of the regime to hand over power and so on and so forth. But it was simple. 
He said, if we don't get 112, we cannot form government. So then I asked, maybe, what if we don't have 112? He said, go and get 112. <laughs> <laughs> so we started to count. Because, you see, we were, we were unable to, to get the whole country's pictures. We were scattered. So we had to start counting seat by seat. We called every of the candidates. You know, by about 10 o'clock, we realized that we have crossed the 112. But something that we discovered much later is that, in fact, by 8 o'clock, the police officers already knew Pakapan has won. Right? In fact, the police, the IGP has announced or instructed some sort of a soft curfew to watch out so that there will be no trouble. A night before, a day before, you will read crappy news from the newspaper. You will see lies after lie on TBT Girl. Right? On the 10th of May, with no change of ownership, Star still owned by MCA, yeah. Utusan still Amno owned, with no change of management, with no change of chief editors, and with no change of journalists. They know how to report what is an objective, factual, quality news. <laughs> so it means that the entire Malaysia, from journalists to civil servants to our police force and our army, they were all waiting for that moment. And as soon as that moment comes, everyone played their roles. There was nobody resisting it, nobody trying to create trouble, and all of them received the Malaysian Baru gracefully. And if anyone remember, Pakatan Rakyat only appoint a full set of cabinet ministers almost one month after 10 of me. In the meantime, nobody complained about their license don't get renewed. Nobody complained that the stock exchange nobody uh, it was collapsing. Nobody said that the bus did not run on time or the trains are all break down, broken down or crime rate increased. The stock exchange collapsed. Nobody. And everything functioned as usual. Many more people said now, you know, at 4 o'clock at 11 o'clock, cafeteria in Putrajaya were empty because the old man, the 93 years old old man was sitting upstairs doing his work and no civil servant wanted to go down and drink tea. <laughs> so, then my joke is, I think ministers are not really necessary in the running of government. <laughs> So we have one month or no ministers that you don't see any chaos and mismatch of work. So the whole thing, moral of this story is, actually all of us, we are holding out these countries and we know what to do. We know how to function. And that's why make us feel so great and make us feel so relieved, make us feel proud that we are Malaysian that know our rights, know our duties, and performing our responsibility despite such a major moment. 
So that's where we start on the 10th of... Right, um, so that was just um, the speech we just played was by Tan Shu, who is um, former MP um, of... Uh, what was the party again? I think... Uh, you mean, um, uh, yeah, it is the um, People's Justice Party, the PKR, yeah. and that is the largest party in the new Alliance of Hope, uh, Pakatan Harapan, mm. um, that's just been elected to government mm. in Malaysia. Yeah, so yeah, he was just um, reporting, um, giving a sort of presentation on the recent results of the Malaysian elections and um, you know what it meant, um, what it means what it meant, yeah, really, the, the the landmark kind of significance to it. And, um, yeah, having gone to the forum, I went to the um, forum with um, Lali on Sunday and it was quite striking that, you know, there was a really strong engagement um, of the Malaysian community and there was a, also a very long discussion period with, you know, lots of people making comments and um, questions. Um, it clearly is uh, a pretty ground, you know, um, pretty grand historical moment for um for malaysian politics um that the um the ruling party which has been ruled for so long and very conservative and very right-wing um was got um unseated Mm. um now i just want to give a bit of a report um this is a article the latest from green left weekly um and this is just a bit of an update on the um stop adani campaign um in queensland and well Stop Adani activists are celebrating the Queensland Labor's government to, um, decision to pers- prosecute uh, the Adani-owned Abbott Point bulk, bulk coal for bulk coal uh, for pollution violations at the time of um, Cyclone Debbie last year, um, and this was announced um, on September the fifth, and um, you know there was. This move just came um, two days before the deadline for persecution would have passed and after almost 18 months of foot dragging on the issue by the government. And I think this comes in the context of, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, intense, you know, pro- um, protests um, against Sadani and the ongoing campaign. Um, and so, yeah, it's so definitely, I think, you know, Socialist Alliance representative Kamala Emnil told Greenleaf Weekly that the, dem- the decision demonstrates the power of protests. And, of course, you know, a lot of people despair um, that protesting doesn't make any difference. Yet, again, be- here before our eyes, this is another example that it does. And, yeah, so that's kind of like the um, the kind of current update on the, the situation with Stop Adani, although the campaign is still going to be going on. Um, I'll just quickly just play a quick announcement. All right. Um, so we're you're li- this is Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is seven thirty-seven a.m. Um, and we're going to be in the next um ten minutes. Um, we're going to be playing a recording um from a press conference um with Chelsea Manning. Um, probably listeners probably heard the full st- um the story on Chelsea Manning on how she was you know denied a visa. Well, not necessarily denied her visa was delayed, which basically meant that she's not basically not able to commence her speaking tour in person. Um, she'll be speaking tonight um at the Melbourne Exhibition and Convent uh. Convention Centre, um, and I think pretty sure they're still selling tickets, and it will be um, via video link. Um, so yeah, this is a recording of a press conference that um, two of our Monday breakfast um, programmers um, attended, um, and it's going to be it's just a bit of a short interview, um, and 
those who um, enjoy the experts um, from this interview that we're about to play, um, you'll be able to listen to more of it um, on the next on the Monday Breakfast program this coming Monday morning. All right, so yep, we'll be playing Chelsea Manning uh, interview with Chelsea Manning. Over in America and here in Australia as well, it's been a period of time where we've heard President Trump and authorities here in Australia accusing various mainstream and social media news outlets of bias. And in response to this, we've seen attempts by Facebook and Google to crack down on so-called fake news, you know, sometimes getting a lot of progressive sites and progressive outlets in that crackdown. How do you see the state of the free flow of information around the world at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, I think we're at a critical crossroads here. Um, and in particular, uh, I, it, it, I have actually a personal connection with some of these, uh, with some of these uh, Facebook page crackdowns in particular. Um, I was actually working, uh, I was working with a, a number of uh, folks in a counter-protest uh, in, uh, in early August uh, against uh, Jason Kessler uh, you know, and their attempt at a putting together another Unite the Right 2, um, you know, on the, the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville. And uh, there was a Facebook page that was a legitimate Facebook page but with a legitimate protest with, like, numerous uh, thousands, of, thousands of people who had RSVP'd and were getting updates uh, daily about, what, you know, about this action. And, uh, that, and that got caught, in, caught up into the, the, the Facebook deletions uh, that were, you know, reported in the media, um, not necessarily by Facebook itself, but were widely reported in the media to be Russian fake news. And it was quite, it was quite scary. It was actually quite frightening and, and disturbing to see, you know, like folks in the D.C. area be essentially called Russian stooges that, and Russian bots, you know, and uh, it became quite a joke among, uh, among my, you know, my friends uh, in which, you know, we, we just kind of like, you know, had to run around and explain to people we're not Russian bots, but uh, but very, but you know, on a more serious note, you know, like it, the this is the this is the danger of placing so much arbitrary power um, as to what you know as to what is and is not deemed fake, and it seems that most of these uh, most of these assertions about you know fake news and and whatnot have have a real Strong undercurrent of um, of authoritarian, you know, uh, attempts to uh, undermine uh, the, the the public, you know, the the, the public debate. Because um, if if you're if you're able to essentially call every person that you disagree with uh, somebody who's putting out fake information, then uh, and and then you also put out fake information yourself, you're essentially uh, trying to undermine. Uh, everyone and, and exhaust people's ability to, to think critically. Um, so it, it's a real attempt to just exhaust people, I think. Um, and uh, and you know, so there's there's there, there's a lot of different things that are happening all at once here. But um, I think that it, it, that we need to we need to not think about this in terms of like who who is the arbiter of this, but think more along the lines of what kind of um, what kind of interest do the kinds of people who say these things and do these things, um, you know, whether making accusations or producing propaganda materials or, uh, you know, like really throwing, um, you know, uh, and I think of the troll, the, the trolls who attempt to, uh, 
to, to, to the latch onto and something that happens in the news cycle and put out misinformation like uh, and really game the the social network and you know the social media and the social network uh, and uh, algorithms um, and you know I think it'll be interesting to see where all this goes but I also think that we need to keep our eyes out uh, more on who's doing it and why. Yeah, Chelsea, um, we would obviously lo- have loved to have had you in Australia, and but your freedom of movement has obviously been restricted. What do you think of the immediate prospects for Edward Snowden and Julian Assange to gain any of their freedom back? I have no idea. That I, I I don't know the specifics of either case. Um, quite you know, quite quite frankly, I'm not qualified to answer that. Um, and uh, and the specific the specifics of other cases are are really. Uh, of any case, you know, and there's there's all, also a no, there's a number of whistleblowers around the world who have very similar cir- circumstances that you know uh, I'm thinking of. Uh, well, well, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. The Israeli um, Janice, do you remember the, the Israeli uh, whistleblower from like ten yeah. years ago? Anyway, there's there's a number there's a number of cases. There's a number of cases in which this has been happening over the last 30 years. It's not just uh, it's not just a couple of prominent um, cis, cis men. The things you've been touching about about too much power residing in the hands of too few. When asked about the visa rejection last week, Prime Minister Morrison said the Minister for Immigration had total control over these decisions, and we've seen him uh, step in recently to allow you know employees of the rich and famous to kind of uh, sidestep some of these restrictions. But the one comment. Prime Minister Morrison did add, as he said, that he was for bringing the Australian people together and making them safe. What do you interpret from those comments? Uh, it, it boils down to, you know, nice-sounding statements that, you know, are complete sentences. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think, you know, I, you know, you, you often hear these, like, very hollow phrases from, you know, uh, from people in power. Um, national security is one of them. Uh, dare, dare anyone actually try to define what national security actually is? I certainly know the legal definition in the United States, which is about as vague as you can get. It is anything of and relating to the national defense and foreign relations. That's incredibly broad. So, um, you know, like, I just we should all all be very skeptical and very critical of what people in authority say whenever they say things like, like this is important for you know national security or you know this is about uh, this is about creating jobs. This is about um, you know in, in, you know ensuring the the protection of our culture and our heritage. Like these are very these are very loaded phrases that, that if you start to unpackage them, um, you, you start to, it, it can reveal far more than the statement itself if you actually try to, to do a, a more detailed analysis as to what, you know, to what each different word actually means in, in the context of the phrase. And, uh, and so I, I call it deconstructing. So I like to deconstruct the, the, the phrases of people in power. Um, and uh, I probably want to write an article about that at some point. Following up from the earlier question around Australia's drive towards more military power, Australia has a joint US military base, Pine Gap, sitting outside Alice Springs. What do you think about Australia having foreign bases on its own soil and I guess being so tied to US foreign policy? Uh, 
I knew I was going to get an Alice Springs question eventually. <laughs> um, I mean, I, do, do, do y'all want it there? I mean, that's, a, I guess, the biggest question is, like, does, do, do folks want it there? And uh, I'm going to guess that the folks in Alice, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how the folks in Alice, in Alice Springs feel. I certainly never heard their opinions on, on this before. I, 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 I often hear it's, it's critical infrastructure, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an international, you know, uh, it, it, it's an international, you know, require, or, or uh, the international community needs it uh, because it, you know, it covers such a, it covers a, 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 a large, you know, space of, uh, of the, uh, of the, the geographic region that, you know, isn't covered otherwise, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I can't really say a whole lot without getting into more sensitive matters that I can't talk about. I'm sorry. All right. Um, you've just heard excerpts of um, from a press conference with Chelsea Manning via Skype. Um, Jackson and James from the Monday Breakfast team took part in this yesterday, along with um, various other journalists. Um, you can tune in to Monday Breakfast next week to hear more. And um, thanks to Chelsea, who took part in the um, press conference while being super jet-lagged. Um, and if you would like to hear her speak... Um, the public meeting event evening with Chelsea Manning is happening tonight at 7pm at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Um, I'm pretty sure, as far as I know, tickets haven't been sold out yet, but you do have to buy tickets for the event, and it is fairly pricey, just to be aware. Um, but yes, it will be happening on tonight at 7pm um, um, at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. All right, um, so we're going to be going on to another interview. Um, I just need to, we'll just play a quick announcement while we get that ready. All right, um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, on the line, we have Sue Bolton. Um, she's usually a regular guest on our program. Um, she is a Moreland um, City Councillor for Socialist Alliance. Um, and just to give a bit of background for this interview, um, the ABC revealed on September 3rd um, that Philip Galilee, um, a former member of the far-right United Patriots Front and the Shrewsbury Club, True Blue Crew is facing communal hearing over threats to carry out terrorist attacks on the Resistance Centre in Melbourne CBD, the Melbourne Anarchist Collective, Collective um, and the Victorian Trades Hall. Um, and Sue Bolton had a, a bit of contact with um, Philip Glee because the Resistance Bookshop is one of the offices of Social Science and also the office of Green Left Weekly. Um, so, um, um, so, Sue, um, so good morning, Sue. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, so I guess what I want to find out is, you know, what is sort of your initial kind of reactions to this um, whole kind of shocking kind of news story? Well, I I think what it reveals is the fact that the uh, the political establishment doesn't give a stuff about attacks on the left, um, but they'll, you know, sensationalise, um, you know, anything anything that um, might be construed to be uh, like any possible terrorist threat uh, construed by a, by a Muslim. Um, like, it's totally... Um, you know, if the, if this guy, Philip Galea, was a Muslim, 
he would be, you know, publicly shamed and and all the politicians would, would be commenting about him and calling for his head, etc. Instead, this is a story which has been largely buried because because it's a threat against the left. And the media has a narrative that the far left and the far right is as, is as bad as each other. Um, and, and that's their narrative, and they don't want anything to sort of destroy that narrative because they, you know, want to try and um, undermine any potential for the left to gain broader influence in society. Um, this uh, guy, Philip Galea, he was, uh, as well as planning this attack on various left-wing centres, um, he also was part of a group uh, that was arrested and charged, but I don't know the outcome of it, um, with trying to take weapons, I think namely a gun, to um, a racist protest in Melton in 2015. At the time when the police released that information to the media, they said, uh, we can't say whether uh, this attempt to take a gun to the protest was by the racist or the anti-racist. <laughs> Now, of course, there's no, there's never been any evidence of any left-wing anti-racist taking weapons to protest. The only groups that have been taking weapons to protest have been the far right. Um, so the police were obviously would have known that, um, and the police sort of deliberately tried to create the impression in the media's minds that there was a possible question of the anti-racist taking weapons. Um, now, in this particular case of Philip Galea, the later attacks um, or threats against um, these left-wing centres, um, I think one of the reasons why um, there was evidence about his attack on the resistance centre, which um, his lawyers didn't contest, um, is the fact that he actually did enter the resistance bookshop. Um and I was the person who spoke with him, and I thought he was, you know, just a, a sort of a bit of a weirdo with the questions he was asking. But he definitely drew a map of the bookshop. Um, he did a video of the encounter with me, um, and he had possessed enough mercury to do a lot of damage um, if he had carried out his threat. Now, I notice um, in some of the mainstream media, they're describing him as just being nuts. Well, actually, he was a right-winger. Um, he, um, you know, has gone through a number of processes as part of the committal hearing. He doesn't, a little bit like Andre um, Breivik um, in, in Norway, that right-winger who carried out that mass murder, um, he didn't want to be regarded as having a psychiatric illness, and, and I gather that's the case with um, Philip Galea. Um, Galea, you know, basically, you know, doesn't resolve from what he's attempted to do. Um, but at the moment, he's just gone through a committal hearing, um, and we haven't heard the final outcome um, of that. And so what, um, I guess, further the um, other question I want to ask is, 
What what do you think this sort of case represents about the growing kind of threat of the far right and, you know, what needs to kind of be done to kind of counter um, this growth of the far right? Because it's clear that, you know, um, Philip Galea's actions, even though the media is very keen to downplay it, were motivated by his sort of fa- his fascist, racist ideology. Well, I mean, I think... Probably the really key thing is actually really the left to grow, um, to call out racism, racist politics, um, and counter-racist politics and racist narratives wherever we see it. Um, And I would say, um, in some ways, uh, the Peter Duttons and... and, um, Scott Morrison's of this world are just as dangerous as people like Philip Galea, um, partly because, mainly because Philip Dutton and Scott Morrison have mainstream acceptance. And I think um, Philip Dutton's incitement to violence against the African community, now he, you know, in the court of law, I mean, it might not stand up as incitement directly, because he's not directly calling for violence. But, um, you know, in his focus on, and also the state politicians in Liberal and Labor Party, um, who've, you know, gone bananas about this whole um, concocted idea about African gangs, um, in, in reality, that has led to you know, violent attacks um, on members of the African community. Um, And I gather in one instance directly led to a suicide by a young African girl um, in Melbourne. So I I see their racism uh, as needing to be countered just as much as the far right. Um, I don't think there's any magic bullets um, to stop the growth of the far right, Um, but I think there's got to be a two-pronged process of one um, opposing refugee, you know, opposing racist policies um, of of the um, mainstream politicians, um, you know, having counteractions uh, against um, far-right identities when they come to town to speak, um, but also we need to uh, increase um, the size of the left and. We need to point point out uh, an al- economic alternative um, to the sort of neoliberal policies of the mainstream politicians, because I think one of the big issues is that a lot of people who are really hurting don't necessarily see the cause of their pa- of their pain um, when you know, someone down the road gets a house, you, you're homeless or someone gets a job and you miss out or, you know, whatever the story is, people, a lot of people are hurting but don't, real, don't necessarily realise the cause of their hurt. And at the moment, um, politicians are trying to put the blame on all sorts of other things, you know, saying this group's taking jobs, you know, overpopulation with migrants coming into the country when, you know, just as being the cause of um, straining infrastructure and rising house prices, when actually it's all to do with the fact that the politicians have refused to spend money on um, infrastructure. They've been cutting public services and 
and defunding the public education system, etc. Um, they're using um, racist ideas and racist politics as a decoy to cover up uh, what their actual, their real, um, their real involvement as um, the instigators of people's pain. All right. Thank you very much for that, um, Sue. Um, yeah, I don't think um, that's pretty much. I think all we wanted to um, cover with your with our interview with you. No worries. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. You're on Green Left Radio, and that was uh, Moreland Councillor Sue Bolton there talking about uh, Philip Galea, the far right um, oh, fascist who is currently at a committal hearing. Uh, about his plans to bomb several um, left-wing offices in in Melbourne, including the Melbourne Anarchist Centre, the Resistance Centre, and Victorian Trades Hall. Mm. All right, um, I'll just play a quick announcement and we'll move on to the activist calendar. You are listening to 3CR. It's the best radio station in Melbourne, most definitely, and so... You've done well by tuning in. This is Green Left Radio. It's Friday morning. Weekend's coming up. Yay. That's one minute past eight. And that means it's time for the activist calendar. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, Friday, September 7, today, there is a bit of a log jam this afternoon of action happening. So, the there is a rally at the State Library at 6 p.m., call out of politics, we have a new coal-loving PM, courtesy of the coal lobby. Scott Morrison loves coal so much that he brought a lump of coal into Parliament. Snap rallies are taking place across the country with people standing up to say no to the coal lobby running our democracy. Uh, so, yeah, 6pm, State Library, 328 Swanston Street. Uh, at 3pm this afternoon... The Australian Unemployed Workers' Union is having its Melbourne branch meeting. That's at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Now, also at 6pm, there's that coal rally happening at that uh, at the State Library, coal out of politics. Also at 6pm, there's a counter-protest against Nigel Farage, the UK Independence Party far-right uh, scumbag who is in town talking at Crown Casino, trashy venue for a trashy human. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Get along to that if you can. Maybe go to the uh, coal out of politics and then go to the Nigel Farage or vice versa. I don't know. It's up to you to make a decision. It's a difficult time. Uh, and then also tonight, we heard before from Chelsea Manning, she is speaking at 7 o'clock at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. I'm sure you can Google it. As mentioned before, you do have to buy tickets if you want to go and see Chelsea Manning speaking via video link. Uh, but uh, she's just across the ditch in New Zealand, and no doubt that's going to be a very informative and interesting night. Uh, all right, Saturday, September 8, tomorrow night. There is um, a gig at the Corner Hotel, 57 Swan Street, Richmond. Beasts of No Nation, tribute to Fella Cootie. Uh, kicks off at 8.30. Uh, Sunday, September 9, Frankston Forum, understanding and dealing with job agencies. 10am at Frankston Library, 60 Plain Street, Frankston, hosted by the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Go along if you're... Um, 
yeah, need a bit of guidance on doing the tango with horrendous government and like outsourced government bureaucracies. Uh, <clears throat> rally threatened species parliament. Join us at Parliament Reserve after National Threatened Species Day to call on the state government to protect forests from logging and get behind the push for a new suite of strong national nature laws. 11am, Parliament Reserve, Spring Street, Melbourne East, hosted by Friends of the Earth. That's on Sunday at 11am. Also on Sunday, Celebration, Victory in Hosier Lane, Celebrate the Victory of Street Art over Corporate Culture. That's at 1pm at Hosier Lane in the city. And there's a Victorian Socialist catch-up in the Pasco Vale District. That's happening at 2pm at the Pasco Vale Hotel, 12 Railway uh, Parade, Pasco Vale. Monday, September 10, till Sunday, September 16. Exhibition, Chile, September 11, remembering the brutal Pinochet military coup of 1973. Trades Hall, uh, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. That one's hosted by Lasnet. Moving right along, Tuesday, September 11, uh, uh, till Sunday, September 16, Theatre, Muniak Mulana, touches on themes relating to dispossession of Indigenous peoples, assimilation policy, apocalyptic genocide, whilst also expressing intergenerational resilience with strong Indigenous sovereignty undertones. Uh, It's $30 wage, $20 concession, La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street, Carlton. Uh, so, yeah, go on, check out some radical theatre. Uh, Tuesday, September 11, public meeting, rebuilding worker movements. Why is insecure work such a growing issue in Australia? Why are people currently struggling with stagnating wages and rising cost of living? What's gone wrong in our system to leave the majority of citizens facing growing levels of inequality? That's at 6.30pm at the Carrillo Gantner Theatre at the Sydney Maya Asia Centre at Melbourne Uni, Swanston Street, Carlton, organised by the National Union of Workers, NUW. There's also a film screening on Tuesday, September 11. Uh, it's the Chicago Boys, remembering the brutal Pinochet military crew in Chile in 1973, and it's a tribute to the um, to the resistance, 6.30pm, followed by a screening at 7, that's at Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South, that's also organised by Lasnet, and there is a public meeting, the many socialisms of Ernie Lane, an attempt to make sense of Australian pre-Bolshevik socialism by examining the ideological evolution of pioneering radical Ernest Henry Lane. Uh, and the speaker there is Jeff Rickett. That's at 7 o'clock, 5 bucks or $3 for NIBS members at the new International Bookshop at Trades Hall. And I've said it a few times, that is at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. You're listening to 3CR, chances are you probably know where Trades Hall is. But just in case you didn't, here I am telling you the address. All right, Wednesday, September 12, author talk growing up Aboriginal in Australia. Matthew Lillist, Zachary Penrith, Puchalski and Jack Lattimore will share their contribution to this groundbreaking collection on what it's like to grow up Aboriginal in Australia. 
and that promises to enlighten, inspire, and educate. That's at 6.30pm Wednesday, September 12, at Carlton Library, 667 Rastian Street. And, uh, yes, Thursday, September 13, till Saturday, September 15, Music, The Change, Revolutionary Hip-Hop Theatre, A Journey of Many Worlds Colliding, from West Papuan refugees on a boat lost at sea to the kids in the shanty town of Tin in a Kenyan slum, the Palestinian rappers up against the apartheid wall, and the Afghan girl on the run. These characters' journeys will run parallel with the stories of struggle of First Nations people in Australia. Uh, 3pm and 6.30pm on each of those days from Thursday, September 13 till Saturday, September 15 and that's at the Collingwood Underground Car Park 55 Harmsworth Street Collingwood and whilst I'm sure uh, Izzy from Combat Wombats is just a part of that and there's a bunch of other excellent artists involved um, can vouch for Izzy excellent MC um, and just generally um, really committed activist. I know that Izzy's had something to do with organising all that, and you can you can be sure it's going to be damn excellent. So get along to that. Uh, all right, what else? That's there's heaps of stuff going on here. Um, go to greenleft.org.au, click on the activist calendar. There's a little picture of a calendar. You can click on there. You can say uh, what city you're from. In this case, chances are you're listening here in Melbourne. And there's a whole big list of uh, yeah activist happenings, and you can you can upload stuff there too. You can you can send stuff to Green Left, and they'll put it on the activist calendar. All right, uh, so that's that's one other one on the on the radar coming up Tuesday, September 18, public meeting, housing in crisis. What are the solutions? That's at 6:30 p.m. Uh, five bucks or three dollars concession. That's at the Resistance Centre. Level 5, 407 Swanston Street, and there will be a speaker from the Homeless Persons Union, and our very own Jacob Andrew Rother is going to be talking there as well, so come check it out. Alright, um, so yeah, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, Just um, we actually just now got our last interview for the program on, um, we have... Balan Teagle, um, he is a 17-year-old from Newcastle, um, and he had um, put his freedom on the line to take a stance against the coal industry, I think, on Wednesday. Um, and I'm not sure what the current situation is, but in this media release it sort of said he was um, still on top of a blocking coal. He was basically on a high, a 10-metre-high tripod blocking coal trains entering Newcastle, but I don't know what's going on with that. We'll guess we'll find out from now. So good morning, Balan. Hey, how are you doing? Um, so, yeah, what can you tell us about um, the the protests um, that you did um, against the coal industry? So, basically, I was hanging over the tracks on a on a tripod, um, suspended above the ground, and I was I was blocking trains from entering the largest coal port in the world. It's it's in my hometown in Newcastle, and I've, I've seen its effects over my entire life, and it's really, really worrying to me. So, yeah, I was blocking those trains from coming in and out for about three hours. 
Hmm. And so tell us a bit more about, you know, why why you're kind of you're part of this protest and, you know, the importance of sort of taking, you know, action against the coal industry and, you know, putting forward um, ideas to, to address climate change. So basically climate change is a huge issue at the moment. It's it's really, really pressing. If we don't act upon it now, it's, it's going to get to a point where we can't live on this earth. And this coal... Coal port roughly is exporting about 500,000 tonnes of coal, so nearly half a million tonnes of coal every day. So that that equates to 106 million tonnes of CO2 in the atmosphere. And that's, that's really worrying. That's a huge, huge impact on our ecosystems, on our environment, on our health, and it's threatening the future survival of my generation. Um. Balan, how's it going? This is um, Zane. Uh, first of all, just wanted to say, like, congratulations and, and respect. Like, it's really cool that you're doing this. Um, Thanks. And, like, how old were you when you first started getting worried about climate change? I've been, I've been worried about climate change since I could, since I could talk. When I was in year two, um. I wrote a story about the world ending through climate change and my teachers were teachers sent brought my parents into school and told them that I shouldn't be able to have this abstract thought but I've yeah I've been watch, I've been walking in coal marches since I was since I could walk basically it's funny that the teachers brought your parents in. Or like, there's something wrong with the kid. He knows that there's really bad yeah. stuff happening in the world. Yeah. What, yeah. Have you, what have you done? He's been exposed uh, to the truth. This is terrible. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Oh, he's been exposed to the truth. Yeah, yeah. It must be awful. I've been exposed to the fact that we're living on a dying world and we're accelerating that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty disturbing growing up in Newcastle and just, I don't know, any time you go out past the coal loaders, you just see those mountains and mountains of coal and it's just this kind of relentless um, yeah. machine. Yeah, I've I've been going out there, going out um, through through that way to get out to Stockton and to get out, get out to a bunch of places and it's always... It's always been on my mind, and you you drive that through there, and the stench of all of the emissions that port is letting off is horrendous. Mm. And and it's a really in Newcastle we have a really tangible tangible view on what's what's happening with that coal. Mm. Yeah, and it's a really like is it before um, before colonisation that whole. Newcastle area was such a rich place for Aboriginal people to um, hunt and fish. There's so much bird life and, and fish, and there's some of that obviously still remains, and it's a real sort of juxtaposition between really beautiful bird habitat and mangroves and then just this really bleak industrial landscape full of piles of black stuff. Yeah, yeah, basically it's... it's You, you can see what, what parts of... Newcastle have been poisoned by the coal and by the coal industry and it's 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 astounding and really really terrifying to see that effect 
on on the land I live on, and yeah, it's it's absolutely terrifies me and makes me worry about my future. Mm. And um, what do you think of? Um, can you tell us any? Um, like, what do you think about our current kind of Prime Minister Scott Morrison? <laughs> And sort of his like kind of clear kind of support for the coal industry. I mean, he was the one that was um, that that is known for bringing a lump of coal into Parliament. Um, and do you have any? Um, are there, is your what the group you're involved in, Frontline Action Coal? Are they doing anything in sort of today or tomorrow in terms of this? Uh, in terms of sort of the National Day of Action, rise up for the climate. Um. At the moment, we've got an eighteen-year-old activist on the on the tracks, uh, blocking blocking coal from coming in and out of Kurigang Island. Yeah, right. Uh, personally, with Scott Morrison, I think he's a coward, and he should stop thinking about his money and the money of his donors. His his donors are not the ones he was elected into Parliament to support. He was he was there to look after the people. He's there to look after his voters. He's there to look after the nation. He's not. His primary concern shouldn't be the the coal industry and the executives who are rolling in rolling in money built off the destruction of the earth. Yeah, true that. Uh, and can you tell us a bit, um, Balin, about the upcoming? Um, Act Up and Cold Newcastle sort of week of protest. It's kicking off on is it, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday? Um, yeah, it's called Act Up. It's from the 12th to the 16th. Uh, Frontline Action on Coal and Newcastle Justice Up- Newcastle Climate Justice Uprising will be holding the event in Newcastle. And we encourage anyone concerned about climate change or anyone who wants to learn more about direct action and climate change to get involved. So, yeah, if if people are keen, they can register on frontlineaction.org or on the Facebook page ACT UP. And if they can't come but they're keen to help out and try to make a, distance, uh, make a difference, you can donate on the website frontlineaction.org slash Newcastle. Yeah, wicked. And it's, uh, you've got a fair few people kind of lined up to to come along and support that yeah yeah we've got we've got a couple hundred people keen to come keen to learn keen to make a difference so if if anyone listening would like to get involved in that and would like to make a difference and try to secure their future and their children's future definitely come it's it's going to be a great week would and as a um, you know seventeen year old getting involved uh, in in direct action to stop coal exports, what's your vision of of Newcastle ideally sooner rather than later, like ten years from now, uh, that's moved away from coal? What do you reckon that is going to look like? Um, tons more renewable energy, more solar fields, more wind fields. We have we can harness tidal energy. Um, just branch out to all all renewables that are available, so we have a have a fail safe system. And yeah, I, I don't want to see any 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 coal out of the ground, any any executives prof- profiting off climate change. 
yeah, I, I want to see the workforce moved into renewables or other areas of the industry. And yeah, that's that's basically it. I want to be able to be able to breathe clean air. Mm, for real, yeah, including fifty and sixty years from now. Yeah. Okay, I think um think we'll finish up that interview. Um, thank you so much, um, Balan. Do you have any like final comments you like to make, or on how people, or actually, uh, kind of can tell us about any resources that people can um link into to find out um about a follow the campaign and b get involved. Um. Yeah. Just look on the Facebook page. Um. Frontline action on coal, and everything should be there. Just scroll through. You can see actions we've been doing. You can see resources events coming up that sort of stuff and yeah the best the best thing to learn about it is to come to the event from the 12th to the 16th and yeah do workshops and skill shares for for four days and yeah it'll be it'll be really good wicked all right thank you very much right. yeah right, once you. again it's, it's great to see a new generation of activists including yourself uh yeah really getting stuck into this it's it's yeah, awesome cheers. Yeah. Right. All right, thanks Cheers. Thank you. Bye. All right, and that was Balan Teagle, who has, uh, yeah, just been involved yesterday in a protest against coal exports out of Newcastle, the world's biggest coal port. Uh, there's another young person, uh, 18 years of age, I think, who's currently involved in a similar protest right now happening in Newcastle, and next week there is the ACT UP End Coal Newcastle protest happening from the 12th of 16th, 12th till the 16th of September. So, yeah, bit of action there up in the world's biggest coal port. Good to see. Yeah. Actually, you know, something um, I thought we'll talk about, and it's actually in the latest Green Left Weekly, um, I actually just saw um, the new Spike Lee film Black Klansman Um on Wednesday night, and we actually have a review of it in um, Green Left Weekly. Quite a critical review, um, which I in which I agree with to, um, to on a number of areas. So, just to, for listeners' information, Black Klansman is a is a basically based on a true story about um, an African American cop in Colorado Springs um, or something like that in the U.S., which is like a really you know. During in the 1970s, um, and for a bit of historical context, it was one of the most racist states um, in the United States of America. And this guy, um, I forgot, I forgot what his character's name. Anyway, it's based on a true story. Um, he was um, the first African American cop, um, and the story basically follows him in his attempts to infiltrate the KKK, um, and he does that by calling up the KKK office and pretending to be a white racist American and then gets another white um, a white officer to to meet up with the KKK in his place, pretending to be him who he was speaking to on the phone. And so the story, um, the film is a bit of like a sort of almost like a buddy cop kind of comedy kind of film. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's an entertaining film and it is quite and it's a it is a good story about racism um with some contradictions in the sense that it is probably the most palatable kind of way you can have a story about again about racism in the United States in 
Hollywood um, because one of the big contradictions of the film is essentially the fact that it actually does portray the police as a progressive force against racism, despite the fact we know that, you know, institutionally in the United States, police are institutionally racist. They're responsible for, you know, Mm. the killings of African-Americans and historically speaking, their role was essentially set up to defend slave owners. Mm. Um, so that was what, that's one of the more problematic, I guess, things about the film in a sense that it does kind of promote a, sort of an idea that, you know, or police... Yeah, but it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that the police are racist, can be racist, but it, but it does try to kind of have this sort of confused message um, that, you know, police can be a progressive force against racism through the infiltration of the KKK. Although, in my view, from based on that story, it wasn't really the most that effective way of actually taking down the racism of the KKK. And what what's actually interesting about the film as well is they have um, is it's is, is it portray, um, is David Duke, who's the leader of the KKK, is played by um, Tophia Grace, who probably listeners probably know as one of the main actors of that sitcom that. 70s show um and the one thing about his performance is he plays a really good sort of charismatic kind of racist in a sense that he's a real smooth talker he's the type he's the type of person you could imagine get getting elected into public office Mm. um and that is one of the more sinister kind of things i think it's one of the biting kind of social commentary in the film in the sense that it tries to through that character it kind of shows how you know the far right um can penetrate you know institutions like you know the pre- um like like the political system mm. and get elected in popular support because he you know he's prepared he's he's a total he's like he doesn't he doesn't come off as a crude racist at all he actually is quite a sort of mm. he even claims oh i'm not a racist i'm yeah, this, i just think i just think black people and white people should live separately yeah it's interesting that you would say that and i have a um a friend who i went to school with in newcastle and he's really um he, he he's really super offended by the description of Australia's offshore concentration camps as concentration camps hmm. because he feels like that's a special title that can only be used in regard to the Nazi concentration camps hmm. that Jews were kept in. And hmm. I think there's this idea that, oh, yeah, fascists and Nazis, they were these kind of crude, over-the-top kind of caveman caricature people from back in the 40s or 50s Mm. or whatever, whereas today these um, modern far-right people are, well, they're they're a bit different to those other fascists Mm. from back then. So that's interesting that you would say that because I think that's a really... And another thing to highlight about the film is it has really a really amazing portrayal of of some Black Panther activists in the film. So there's a... There's a woman, one of the, the lead woman in the film is essentially an anti-capitalist, you know, Black Panther student activist who's like the president of her student union. Um, and yeah, she's a really great character and it's it's a bit of a shame. I think it would be fantastic if, we, if Hollywood could produce a film that would have a character like her be the centre of the film instead of having essentially a cop um, be the lead character. Um, but of course, as I said, it's really um, in the context of of Hollywood and that this is probably the most platable way they could make a film about racism in the United States. Mm-hmm. Although, um, just to highlight as well, there was, there is a film um, out now, although unfortunately not in Australia, but out this that was out this year called Sorry to Bother You that's directed by the 
socialist um, hip-hop artist um, Boots Riley, which is essentially a full, uncompromising, anti-capitalist sort of um, story with an all-African-American cast. It's just a real shame um, that it isn't uh, – it's likely not to come out in um, internationally, but it probably will come out on DVD in, at some point in the future here. So, um, But, yeah, I definitely recommend um, for – the problems and flaws and limitations of Black Klansman, it's definitely worth watching and it is a, a reasonable portrayal of racism in the United States with some clear contemporary relevance and I hope I gave a bit of an overview of sort of the film without spoiling any of the plot <laughs> details. Mm. All right, um, so we're getting into the end of our program. i um, like to thank all our listeners um, for tuning in um, and, you know, it was... Um, and thank all our guests and uh, tune in for another week of Radical Radio next week on Green Left Radio. Woo! This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now?